It's time to live in victory. It's time to break free. So I got a direct mail piece not too awfully long ago, a brightly colored envelope in my mailbox. And on the outside of the envelope, it said, I kid you not, it said, if you've ever been fat, skinny, lazy, compulsive, or depressed, this letter is for you. My first thought was, which one of you bozos put me on their mailing list? That's what I want to know. Who did that to me? My second thought was, uh, who buys this stuff? I mean, I opened it up and it said, your life can be changed for $29.95. Somebody must be buying it or they wouldn't be paying all that money for printing and postage, but I sincerely hope it's not you. At the same time, let's be honest, guys. Uh, I got my struggles. You got your struggles. All God's children got their struggles. Can I get an amen in the house? I always love to start with universal amens because <laughs> we're all in this boat together. Even the Bible tells us to expect that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the first part of the verse says, Don't, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, everything you're struggling with, guess what? There's a whole bunch of other men and women that are struggling with the same stuff. It's, just, it's common to man. In fact, way back in the fourth century, there was a monk by the name of Ephagris Ponticus. Aren't you glad you didn't have to pronounce that? Who started paying attention to this verse and started saying, wait a minute, if, if every temptation is common to man, then maybe I could start paying attention and categorize those things and get an idea of what some of those common temptations are. And he ultimately identified seven characteristics or seven categories I should say and in case you're wondering he was a monk he lived in a monastery his only audience were fellow monks so he pulled this set of categories from the most dedicated to God people in the population in his day you're getting what I'm saying it's not general population stuff this is the dedicated to God people and he came up with a list that we now call the seven deadly sins who knows the seven deadly sins? Anybody recite them? I didn't say, do you live by them? I said, do you, do you recite? Can anybody recite them? Let's see if we can recite them. Okay, pride, greed, envy, wrath, which is anger out of control, lust, gluttony, and sloth, which is unproductive, laziness, never get around to getting things done. Let's be honest, guys. Unless you were born in a stable to a virgin, You've struggled with a few of these. Can I get another universal amen? In fact, the apostle Paul struggled with them as well. He wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 19, I do not understand what I do. Come on, I want you to read it with me. Let's start over. But, but I want you, to, I want you to, to join the drama team, okay? Put yourself in Paul's shoes, because you are, we are, and read it like you're actually saying this to God in one of those honest moments. Okay, ready? I want to hear you. Bring it out. All right. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. It's as it is, I, it is, I, no, easy for you to say. <laughs> Let's try again. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it in it. Paul, couldn't you have wrote this simpler? But it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I have a feeling we're relating this morning to the Apostle Paul. So let's get real for a minute. How many of you, be honest with us this morning, have ever broken a bad habit only to pick it up again later? God bless that hand. God bless that hand. I see that hand, right? How many of you ever made a New Year's resolution that didn't make it to February? (laughs) Now we're getting honest with each other. The problem is that no matter which one of the seven deadly sins you struggle with, the results are the same downward cycle. You, You start with confusion where Paul is in this passage in Romans 7. Why am I so resistant to change? Even the changes that I want, I can't seem to bring them about, which becomes frustration. I want to change. I don't know how. I have the motivation. I don't have the determination, which ultimately becomes discouragement. What's the point? I guess this is just the way I am. You can hear the discouragement in Paul's voice in verse 24 of Romans 7. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Pastor Jim paraphrased, I aim for the stars, but I hit the dust. I make promises to myself and to my family and even to God only to fail again. And I even get this sense of failing so deep that I just start saying, forget about it. It ain't worth the effort because I always fail. If you've ever felt that way, I've got some good news. I've got some good news. The same apostle Paul later wrote these words. The one who was honest about his struggles wrote these words in Philippians 2.13. Yes, God is working in you to help you want to do what pleases him. Then he gives you the power to do it. He also finished that 1 Corinthians 13 passage with, with this message God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, what does it say? He will also provide a way out um, so that you can endure it. So what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks is we're going to be unpacking the seven deadly sins. We posted it on social media this week and put it out there and immediately got a poster too. said it's about time uh, preachers start preaching on hellfire and damnation again. If you think that's what we're about to do, you've come to the wrong church. Because sin is a reality and the wages of sin is death, but God has redeemed us if we'll accept that redemption. We don't walk in condemnation, we walk in grace. We're honest with our failures, but we're trusting that God will help us to overcome them. So what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks is is a real honest look at the root issue in each one of these sins, but we're going to focus on the way out that God always provides in scriptures. Uh, In fact, let's look at the graphic. Can we see the anchor graphic for the series? Can we put it up on the screen? I don't know if you paid any attention to this or not, uh, but but I want you to lean into it for just a minute. You see there's a horizon in the middle. That's the ground level. Below the ground, what do you see? You see roots, and then you see a hand coming up, and you see the sunlight uh, bursting out through the top. Those roots are the root issues that keep you bound. They are the sins that keep you bound. And according to that monk in the fourth century and Augustine and a whole lot more since then that have reiterated those same statements, most of those roots are come from pride, envy, greed, all those things that we just listed. But that, our goal is not to live tied up by the roots. Our goal is to get to the light. 
Our goal is to be able to live the abundant life that Jesus promised. Now, here's the the problem is that we read Jesus came to give us life and that life in all its fullness, and we wonder why we never get it because it's hard to sometimes discern which root is holding us down. It's hard to know which root is holding us down. It's hard to even know what those sins are, even when they're operating in our own lives. All we know is that we're in the cycle of confusion and frustration and discouragement. We want to break free from all of that junk. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to do our best to do exactly that. In fact, we're going to go ahead and start today with the first one, which I think is the king of them all, pride also known as selfishness, self-centeredness, egotism, however you want to say it. Uh, Pride and sin have the same letter in the center of their words. What's that letter? It's the letter I. And so what we're talking about is breaking free from this focus on I, I need, I want, I'll have, because ultimately it's a root that holds us back. How do you break free from the root of pride in our lives. Remember I told you, first you gotta get honest about it and then you gotta make some commitments. That's what we're gonna do in the few minutes we've got because guys, unless you get honest about this stuff, you never get free from this stuff. Nobody's trying to beat anybody up. Just unless you get honest about this stuff, you never get free from this stuff. So let's jump into it. We could even title this, How to Be Humble and Like It. How about that? I think there's five keys to it biblically, so let's just walk through them as quickly as we can. Here we go. Key number one is you've got to admit your failures honestly. You've got to admit your failures honestly. If you want to break free from pride and embrace humility, then you've got to admit your failures honestly. I love the living Bible paraphrase of Proverbs 28, 13. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can what? never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, In other words, New Testament term, if he repents, which carries with it not just a confession but a change, then he gets another chance. But, Pastor, if if I admit my mistakes, some people will think less of me. Or or worse, if I admit my mistakes, some people will use that against me. And and, and I say, well, I suppose that's, that's possible, but it's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is that pride blocks you from seeing your own failures, which keeps you tied down to the root of sin that ultimately keeps you from the abundant life that you want. So we all love to pray, God, if I have sinned, please forgive me. Trust me, you have. (laughs) Take the if out. 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we, what? deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it now in us now you notice it doesn't say that we deceive the people around us because we don't deceive the people around us they see it whether we see it or not but when we are prideful when we refuse to admit our mistakes it blocks us from even seeing what's going on in ourselves okay pastor jim i get that but 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 i can't think of anything to confess to the lord well you got two options you can pray david's prayer in psalm 139 or you could ask your spouse she'll be glad to fill you in uh 
So let's go with the David option. How about that? Psalm 139, verse 23 and 4. I love the King James in this one. Here we go. Read it with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you want to break the grip of pride in your heart, you've got to be honest about your failures. Even if you don't know what they are, you begin to pray, Lord, show me what's really going on. You've got to get honest with yourself and get honest with God about your failures. Lord, I don't have it all together, but I want to get it all together. Help me to grow. Can I, can I tell you quickly before we move on? It's one of the things that I absolutely love about our church is that we really don't care how far you've gone on this journey. We just care about the direction of your feet from this point forward right? So we accept people just the way they are, just like God does, just like Jesus does. And then we say, okay, let us help you grow. Let us help you get honest. Let's help you get past this stuff. The second thing that you have to do, if you want to break free from those roots, the root of pride specifically, is you got to evaluate your strengths realistically. When we start talking about humility, sometimes that's not the first thing people think of, but that's what you got to do. Pride is often based in a false or puffed up evaluation of who you are or a persona of that trying to cover the insecurities of what you really know. Humility is based in truth. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but do what? Rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, humility is not about putting yourself down. That's not what humility is. I'm no good. I'm a worm. Jesus didn't die for worms. He died for people created in his image, people with an eternal purpose. Putting yourself down is not humility. Humility is not denying your strengths. Fact is, everybody in this room is just packed with all kinds of strengths. The average person has 500. Do you know that? How many of you believe you have 500 strengths? Raise your hand. Come on, let me see your hands. You know what you just demonstrated? You just demonstrated a half dozen or more right there. But you had demonstrated the ability to hear what I had to say, the ability to process through what I had to say, the ability to make a decision whether or not you have 500, the ability to decide whether or not you're going to respond in church by raising your hand or deciding you're too cool to be, I raise your hand in church. I don't want anybody to see you do that. You had you a whole lot of strengths demonstrated in that simple little thing. We all have strengths, but, but we've got some weaknesses too. I have some strengths and I have some weaknesses. Who said amen? Who? who? Ushers, take that person out. Just take them out. (laughs) Hear me. Humility is not about denying your strengths. It's about taking an honest assessment of your strengths and weaknesses. Pride is the little girl who ordered a banana split. And when she said, "Uh, Shug, do you, you, you think your stomach's big enough to hold all of that? And she said, well, I'm bigger on the inside than I am the outside. Pride is beginning, is pretending that you're bigger on the inside than you really are. Wait a minute, Jim. Are are you saying that all pride is bad? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that all pride is bad. Galatians chapter 6 verse 4 says each one should test their own actions alone. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. You see the if-then equation? The Bible's full of these. If you'll do this, that'll happen. Or if if you do this, God will do that. You see the if-then in there? What's, What's the if? If you will test your actions against your own actions, 
then you can be proud of what you've accomplished. By all means, compete. Nobody's saying don't be competitive, but compete against yourself. Compete against what you're doing compared to how you've done in the past. When you do that and you improve, you can be proud of your accomplishment. Just don't measure your success by comparing with other people. In fact, truth of the matter is, anytime you compare with other people, one of two things is probably going to happen. You're either going to compare yourself with somebody who's doing more than you, in which case you're going to get discouraged, or compare yourself with somebody who's doing less than you, in which case you're going to get proud, so don't do it. Compare yourself against yourself. The Bible says you have every right to be proud of your accomplishment. The more you, you, you realize that, the, the more you also realize that can be a real challenge in our culture. Is it true? I mean, we live in a culture that prides itself on competition. We're in the middle of the Olympics, and we're all proud of these people that get golds and bronzes and silvers. And I'm not saying for a minute don't compete, but, but we, we live by comparisons in our world. Look at advertisers. I mean, how many of you really have cover girl skin? I mean, come on. You, you do know the models don't either. That's airbrushed pictures in magazines. They know such thing. And yet we're still tempted to look in the mirror and go, oh, oh, oh. God says don't compare. If you want to break free from damaging pride, you got to be honest about your failures, but you got to be real about your strengths and weaknesses too. The third thing then is enjoy your successes. Do it gratefully. Enjoy your successes, but do it gratefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, who says you are better than others? What do you have that was not given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you brag as if you did not receive it as a gift? It's cliche, but it's true. Everything you have is a gift from God. What you do with it is your gift back to God. Amen? That's the truth. Wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. Now, Pastor, I, I built my business with my own two hands. Cool. Who gave you those hands? I got this idea, and it proved to be a very successful and profitable idea. Okay, who gave you the ability to think? How, how many of you chose who your parents were going to be or where you were going to be born or what your, your chromosomes were going to be or your genes? Hear me, guys. We all have designer genes on in. We got them, okay? God handmade us all individually, everything we have came from him. So realize when you succeed, and I believe that if you do what we're going to be talking about in this series, that you will see successes in your life. You will find a life that is fulfilling. You will succeed. When you do, be proud of your hard work. Be proud of, of, the, of, of taking advantage of opportunities when they came along. Absolutely be proud of those things, but don't ever forget that all of it came from God. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up again for the root of pride in your life, which will eventually bring you down. I like the way Pastor Chuck Swindoll put it in one of his books. He said, when you find yourself succeeding, remember the lesson of the whale. When you get to the top and are just about to blow, be careful, that's when you get harpooned. <laughs> So you admit your failures, right? You, you're honest about your strengths and weaknesses. You enjoy your successes. Just 
Just be grateful in the process. Number four is serve others unselfishly. Serve others unselfishly. You ever notice the epidemic of depression these days? Anybody notice that? I mean, if you work in the health industry, mental or physical health industry, you know that depression is rampant in our world. I read just the other day that, that this generation is six times more likely to be depressed than their parents' generation was. The number one killer of teenagers, number two killer of teenagers, I should say, in America is suicide. Number one is accidents, number two is suicide. Depression is a very real reality in our world. Most of the research that I've done, most of the research some of you have done, recognizes that the reason is our society puts a phenomenal amount of emphasis on me. I have to do what's best for me. I have to find my truth. I have to live in my truth. And the result of that inward focus ultimately becomes a depressive state. I ran across an article in my research from uh, Psychology Today. There's an article called American Blues. And here's, here's just a quote from that article. Lean in and listen for just a second, okay? Just as the belief in the nation has been crumbling over years, belief in God has also been fading. At the same time, skyrocketing divorce rates have weakened the family. The result is when the individual can no longer believe that the country is a powerful and enduring unit or that the family is a source of support or that a relationship with God is important, where else can they turn for identity, fulfillment, and hope? There's only one alternative, the article says. They turn to themselves, which is the cause of the depression. Same month, Greater Good Magazine wrote an article on Helpers High, and they said Americans are beginning to realize that the more they take on a servant's heart, a humble willingness to help others' heart, the more it lifts you out of your depression. The article talks about the endorphins that are released, kind of like a a runner's high when you serve others. All I can say is I'm so glad that modern psychology is finally catching up to what God said 2,000 years ago. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to those than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Does that come naturally? Thank you for being honest with me. But hear me, guys. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking less about yourself and more about the needs of others that are around you. The result of that is the the opposite of that downward cycle I talked about a few minutes ago, that downward cycle of confusion that becomes frustration and ultimately becomes discouragement and even depression. It's not a downward cycle. It's an upward cycle of clarity. This is who I am, and this is who I'm becoming, and this is why I've been put on this planet and here's the eternal purpose for which I am living and the fulfillment that comes from fulfilling that purpose and the courage then to change whatever we need to change in their lives and ultimately make a difference in the world. All of that comes when we finally say, okay, I'm going to break the back of pride in my life. Paul goes on to say in verse 5 of that same passage, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Think about that. Have the same mindset as as Christ Jesus. Can you 
Can you imagine when Jesus was here on earth uh, tooling around in his Camelac with a personalized license plate that says, I'm number one? I mean, can you? I mean, he is, right? But can't imagine him actually saying those kinds of things. You, but, but same token, you, don't, you can't imagine him holding back his gifts either, can you? you? You can't imagine him not serving either, can you? And hear me, guys. Jesus was the most emotionally healthy person that ever lived on the planet because he understood that balance. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody. He didn't have to impress anybody. And he accomplished more for mankind than any other person that's ever lived on this planet. Prideful people can't serve others because they're so focused on their own needs, which leads to that depressive cycle that I talked about. If you want to break free from that junk, if you want to get off that downward cycle, you got to admit your own failures. You got to be honest about your strengths and weaknesses. Do an honest assessment. You got to enjoy your successes gratefully, understanding that whatever you have, it was a gift from God. And then you got to serve others unselfishly. There's a fifth one, and that is you got to humble yourself voluntarily. You got to humble yourself voluntarily. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know what that says? It tells me that humility is a choice. There's nowhere in the Bible that I'm aware of that people ask God to humble them. The Bible says for you to humble yourself. Well, what does that look like? What is that? What, how, how do I do that? That shows up in the way you uh, speak to others, in the way you act toward others, in the way you respond to criticism from others. You humble yourself when you respond to those kinds of things in a humble kind of way. Guys, it's a choice that we make. Our natural inclination is to be prideful. Our natural inclination is to be selfish. Am I right? Come on. We, we've talked about this before. If I took a picture of this room and then put it up on the screen and ask you if it was a good picture, what's the judge of whether it's a good picture? If it's a good picture of you, it's a good picture, right? It doesn't matter if everybody else has got spinach in their teeth. If it's a good picture of you, it's a good picture, right? But if it's a bad picture of you, it don't matter if everybody else is smiling and glowing and got halos. It's, you know, it's a bad picture because at the end of the day, we are naturally self-centered, naturally uh, selfish, And so this is a choice that we make. But I want you to see another one of those if-then equations. Do you see it in there, in that James passage? If then, if you humble yourselves, then what will happen? God will lift you up. If I will admit my weaknesses and failures honestly, if I will evaluate myself honestly, strengths and weaknesses, if I will enjoy my successes gratefully, if I will serve others unselfishly, if I will humble myself voluntarily, then what's going to happen? God will lift me up. Say it with me. God will lift me up. The opposite is also true. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Understand, this is one of, the, one of the paradigms of Christianity. The way up is down. The way to be exalted is humble 
yourself. The moment I start thinking I've got it all together is the moment I set myself up for a fall. The moment I start acting like I've got all the answers is the moment I set myself up for self-destruction. It's just a matter of time. Some of you, honest confession this morning, some of you know a little bit of, of mine and Kim's history and the church that we led in Virginia that grew bigger than the town I'm from. Um, church got to a size, I won't use numbers, they're not important, but it got to a size where, where our church was the largest church in the denomination we were a part of at the time. And I got to where I would go to ministers' conferences and denominational conventions and that sort of thing. And I caught myself walking into rooms believing that everybody should recognize that about me. That maybe I should be treated a little differently. That maybe they should acknowledge, oh, Pastor Jim is in the room. That was in the early 90s. In 96, I call it my year of crisis, I went into the deepest depression of my life. As close to suicide as I ever cared to get without actually acting on it. And I recognized this is what was doing it. I had stopped admitting that at the end of the day, I'm just a guy from Bladenboro. I had stopped admitting that I had some strengths, but I had some weaknesses too. And using those strengths that God gave me for his glory and working on those weaknesses, I had stopped comparing. I just started comparing myself and stopped just competing against myself. And come to that place where pride had taken care of my heart, taken hold of my heart. Thank God for a godly wife who called me out. And I woke up. The road to the abundant life that Jesus promised you requires that you break free from the root of pride that every one of us is susceptible to. Humility is not putting yourself down. It's not thinking less of yourself. That's false modesty most of the time or insecurity or listening to the lies of the devil, none of which will get you to the abundant life. But it is being honest. It is humbling yourself it is recognizing that he's God and I am not, which is the beginning of this whole journey. Recognizing that I can't save myself no matter what I do. I need God's grace, which leads us to the eternal truth. And we'll come to a close. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a, what? a gift of God. It's not by works, so no one can boast. Can you imagine what heaven be, would be like if we could work our way there? 
Knowing our nature, as soon as we got there and started seeing each other, we'd start comparing. We'd say, well, I'm here because I gave more money to charity than you did. Or, or I, I'm here because I helped more little old ladies across the street than you did. Or I got here because I laughed at Pastor Jim's dumb jokes more than you did. Well, that one, maybe, maybe that one. That's a good one. God says the only way you get his power to change and his promise of heaven is to realize your need, humble yourself, and ask for grace, which is exactly what I'm going to ask you to do right now. How do I break free from destructive pride? You discover how much God loves you. You quit putting your confidence in yourself decide to put your confidence in Christ. Can we pray that prayer together? Let's bow together. Father, thank you for loving us just the way we are. Yeah, we blow it. We mess it up. We, we, we're self-centered so often. And, and you love us through it. You use us in spite of it to bless the world and to bless people around us to give us the abundant life. But we want to be free from this junk that holds us back. We want to be humble servants of God. Not put ourselves down kind of people, but servants of God who recognize we were created in your image, Lord, for your purposes. That you give us everything we need to fulfill those purposes. You give us grace, first and foremost. Then you give us gifts and talents and abilities. You give us relationships. You give us opportunities. You open doors. You give us everything we need to fulfill the purpose for which you created us. And then you give us abundant entry into heaven because of what your son Jesus did on Calvary. So would you help us, Lord, to make these choices? Keep your heads bowed for just a second. I'm gonna ask you to pray that simple prayer back with me, would you? Lord, help me to be honest with myself about my failures. Help me to be realistic about my strengths and weaknesses. Help me to enjoy the successes that I have with a grateful heart. Remind me to serve others unselfishly. And then, Lord, Help me to humble myself voluntarily because I don't want you to do it. I know you will, if need be, in order for me to be eventually free, break free from these roots, but help me to humble myself. Kneel at your feet. Ask for your grace. You're praying, guys. You can pray in your own words. Pray silently. Pray aloud. But in this moment, just say, Lord, I need you. Thank you for giving your life for me on Calvary. I'm so sorry my sin put you there, but I'm so glad you were willing to do that for me. I'm sorry. 
Give me a fresh start. Help me to remember that all I have is yours and all you've given me is so I can make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm, I've been praying for weeks now knowing that this series was coming. Not just that you would say, well, that was an interesting message, or Pastor Jim, I really like the way you teach this stuff. I, I, I'm praying for breakthroughs in our lives. I'm praying the roots that have been holding you back will be done holding you back. That the roots have been holding me back will be done holding me back. And that we'll break through to a whole new level of walking in the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. Because we live in a world that needs somebody to make a difference. So for the come on. So for the sake of, of your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your next door neighbor, your co-workers, your classmates, the world around us, for the sake of, of, of this whole world for whom Jesus died, let's lean into this series. Email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'll send you the notes. You can study them for yourself. But let's lean into this series and let's pray for breakthroughs during these next few weeks together. If you know somebody needs to break through, bring them. Bring them. You know we're not going to hit them over the head with a two-ton Bible, but we're going to tell them the truth in love so they can be free. Father, I pray simply that your Holy Spirit would anoint these next few weeks through the ministries of the bridge. I know there are many churches doing a lot of amazing things, but here and now, we pray, Lord, that we would lean into this and that we can make a difference for your glory, first in our lives, then our families, our communities, and our world. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.